Gregoire and Dan Beeston are smart enough to know better. Welcome to episode 189 of Smart Enough to Know Better. We're a sexy podcast of science, comedy, and sexy ignorance. I'm Dan Beeston. And I'm Sexy Gregoire. And in this episode, I'm going to beat the heat. Oh, damn it. I just just had a brain fart. Sorry. A sexy brain fart. (laughs) And look out behind you. It's bananas! Then I'm going to take a breath. But before we get there, Gregoire, what happened to you this week in science? Oh, my goodness. This week in science, Dan, I had an amazing experience. You may have heard of a little thing called the JWST, the James Webb Space... I've never drunk one of them. (laughs) James Webb Space Telescope. This is a $10 billion, 25-year spaceship telescope that's been put good up. god how many microscopes could i buy for that oh you could look man you could buy at least 10 f-17a stealth fighters with it 10 dan 10 think <laughs> of all the brown people you could bomb <laughs> wow <laughs> wow that came from nowhere anyway and now i'll put it back there oh, i didn't come from nowhere it came from several hundred years of <laughs> It actually came from 2,000 kilometres away and silently went into your hospital and exploded everyone. But don't worry. Anyway, I'll stop now. We shouldn't have been discussing politics before we started. No, no, it got me all excited. Anyway. Bloods up. (laughs) Craig's bloods up, everyone. So the James Webb, thank God, we're talking about something non-confrontational like the James Webb Space Telescope. Anyway, moving on. So for those who don't know, the James Webb is the next generation of a space telescope. It's a successor kind of to Hubble. It's more into the infrared. It's sitting out at the Lagrange point one. So Hubble orbited the Earth? Hubble's pretty close. Yeah, low Earth orbit. That means you could get to it. So you mm, can remember we did some it glasses was, on it, which they did. And they could also resupply it if they needed. And that's a get, fix it. But the James Webb was at Lagrange point one. Uh, 100. So now Lagrange point one, that's somewhere, that's somewhere else in the solar system where all the orbits of the planets make a little well where something can stick without moving too much. It's like a, it's like a yes. special gravitational spot in the, Soul system, isn't it? Yes, it is. Now, I just realised I said Lagrange 1, and I don't think it is. I'm getting my Lagrangian points wrong. I think it's Lagrange 2. Anyway, Numbered Lagrange uh, points are arbitrary, surely. They're like names. They, but it, they are numbered in a certain way. It's Lagrange 2, not Lagrange 1. It's the where the gravity of the Earth and the gravity of the Sun equal each other out due to the orientations in space, and at that point, the gravity is is equal, being pulled on both sides, and therefore, if you can get to that point, it's easy to stay in that area. You're not going to have to use energy to move off, or you're not going to get pulled into... You're not towards constantly the getting pulled into the sun or pulled into the Earth, because they're got both it. pulling on you in that same strength. That's right. And there is like five Lagrangian points due to the moon and the sun and the Earth and all the excitement. Like and they'd be... Just five in the solar system or five that relate to Earth? Oh, five that relate to Earth. These are ones around the... Yeah, every planet's going to have their own... For, yeah, every planet would have their own. 
Yes, absolutely. And now we're getting into Holtzman transfers and orbits and all sorts of things. We won't go there particularly, but yes, this is around the Earth, Earth Moon system and, and with the sun being the, the big, 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 big mm. thing in the center. So have we put anything else in a Lagrangian point? Yes. Lagrange 2 is actually quite busy. We've already put a few things in there, different telescopes. I can't remember. Is it Spitzer? Spitzer might be up there as well. I have to think, hmm, may not be Spitzer. Anyway, yes, it's a good place to put things. So, We'll slide it in there where we can. It's 150 million kilometers away, which means we can't send people to fix it. So if it had gone horribly wrong, it would have just been horribly wrong, and that would have been $10 billion. expensive mistake. But it wasn't. It it actually went unbelievably well. So when they sent this thing up on a rocket, the rocket burn was so successful and so precise, and then its own burn to its final location was so precise. Its five-year mission, so its five-year energy budget – fuel budget was increased to 10 years wow so why that was important unlike most of them which have a cryo fuel you got to keep the mirrors super super cold oh okay this this one has a big mirror that's why it has to point itself so its instruments are actually in the darkness of space away from the sun and the other side has a big shield and that keeps the sun off it so it's actually just cooling itself by being not in sunlight it's in the cold of space because ah. it can't convect around as though it has to radiate. The, the heat can only radiate to it. Yes. So it stays colder. Not a lot of atmosphere in your Lagrange points. No, no, not at all. So you just need fuel so you can orientate the craft back and forth. So it can, it can move itself around a bit and it can keep itself orientated in the correct way. But you can also use it to point in different parts of the sky if you need to as mm. it travels in its orbit. Yeah, basically to keep it cool. So to begin with, they said 10 years. Now, I discovered recently that's now been pushed out to 25 years. They've redone the calculations and gone, wow. oh, no, 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 not five, it's not 10, it's 25 years. This is, gonna this, be this is Scotty's thing. This is Scotty from Star Trek. Always give... A longer time frame than you set, than you actually need, because then they, everyone thinks you're a genius. My old boss told me that he always his secret to me, and I'll pass it on to everyone now is always over. So un, um, let's say under promise, over promise, under no, deliver. Un, no, 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 under promise, over deliver. Oh, yeah, my business is not going well. <laughs> And everyone thinks you're amazing. If you go, oh, I'll definitely give you 10 of those when you know that you can give them 15 and then you hand them 18, they just think you're amazing. But if you say I can give you 20 and you only give them 18, everyone gets, nah, well, you failed. Mm-hmm. So that's just people. So this thing's up there. You've already seen the pictures. We can put the show in the show notes. I'll put the link to all the world the data is. It's amazing. Like it's, it's going to, it is mind blowing the science this has already started doing. And why I'm mentioning is not just because it's really cool. My organization where I work, Professor Simon Driver, is one of the first people outside of NASA to get the data. So he's been given chunks of data oh, to analyze wow. and pictures and things that he would be analyzing with his work. That's at ICRA, the International Center for Radio Astronomy Research, and the ISC, the International Space Center. He's been working on that sort of stuff. And so I was invited, working with that organization, to come to the launch, or the, the picture reveal, I should say. Of, uh, and so I got to go in and sit in a boardroom with lots of people, and we had a live cross. Oh, such a professional sort of thing. That was a, I, I imagine that you uh, took that very seriously. I took it very seriously. Everyone had, you had to be dressed very well and lots Formally? of very... Formally? Formally, yes. I was yeah. very formal. Yes, we had to. It was It was important. We're going to do a cross to NASA, Dan. We're going to do a cross around the world like to, to NASA. And as I said, I was surrounded by all my peers and my, all my scientist peers, very mm-hmm. intelligent, clever people, and we all dressed very well. And, and I went dressed in a full astronaut costume. Oh my God. 
the best part of that was well, the former, just now former executive director of my organization. He's uh, moved on now, but only quite recently. He looked at me, smiled and went, good grief. <laughs> Which I took, I was like, I'm very happy about that. It was, it was, it was one of those, it felt like he wasn't angry. He was just disappointed, <laughs> but he was also smiling. So how did you anyway. get into a management position? I will never know. <laughs> I think it surprises people as well. I had a lovely time. People loved it. The the, the amount that you must be over-promising must be incredible. Oh, I <laughs> Well, maybe I that's what the costuming is. Like you come and, and they're like, oh, what, is this like the office fool who, who's here to amuse people? And, and then you start handing in actual work. They're like, oh, my God, we never expected this from the costume guy. Shh, Dan, you're giving it all away. You're giving it all away, man. Don't, don't, you're, you're he's telling a, how, the, how the, how the biscuit gets made there. What are you doing? What are you doing? Like the under promising is just oh. off the chart or <laughs> under the chart. <laughs> to blow my own trumpet for a moment, if you're good at what you do, you can get away with a lot. That's, that's all I'm going to say. And that's, that's fair enough. Now, I probably get away with far too much, but uh, I'm probably not that good, but they've got used to me now. It's the whole frog in a pot situation. I didn't start uh, with costumes. Starts with a hat. Starts with a hat. Anyway, James Webb. So it was really fun. had a really good time and very excited. But I wanted to mention a listener got in contact, uh, Tom Seary, one of our, one of our Patreon listeners, actually. And Uh, top tier, top tier. So and can't wait to insult him later. (laughs) And anyone who could have sent this to me, Tom happened to send it in. And I agree. I wanted, I wanted to talk about it. So the JWST, the James Webb Space Telescope is an amazing bit of kit and we'll do 25 years of amazing science it's going to find things we wouldn't seen before it's already mind-blowing what it's already done in the first couple of weeks of being active but there's a there's an issue here with the name and i just wanted to talk about that issue a little bit so it's called the james webb space telescope so do you know who james webb is uh i'm i really want to say someone who's was double checked to be not completely (laughs) non-problematic Oh, oh, you sweet summer child. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no, yes. So, it's not, but it's not, it's not that cut this and dry. This is like the Marie Stopes Foundation all over again. <laughs> it's not that cut and dried, which is interesting. This, I'll just explain what's going on and people, I want people to make up their own mind. This, this is not me telling you what to do. This is me just giving information. Look, he f***ed some kids. No, 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 And those no, kids no. were Nazis. No. So it kind of balances out? No. Hey, no and no. No, 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 no. <laughs> Thank you for making it much worse. That's great. He was just, you know, he was the second administrator of NASA. So he was an important person and he is credited as being instrumental in getting humans to the moon for the first time. All oh, so right. Gemini missions and the, they might say Gemini, which is interesting. So the Mercury and the Gemini programs before the Apollo program. He was very much involved in that. So he was an important person at NASA, okay? Uh, And that's fine. Case closed. Case closed. And that's why he was given this honor of having his name on the next telescope. But unfortunately, before he was the administrator of NASA, he was also the undersecretary of state in American politics. And this is where the problems Very hard not to drone strike minorities when you're (laughs) sort of- in that sort of part of the government. Especially, it was actually very difficult in the 1950s, but I see what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> not a lot of drones back then. Not a lot. Uh, that they were telling us about, no, not a lot of drones. Now, unfortunately, back then there was something we don't really hear about, but there's something called the Lavender Scare. Call that now, but it, what it was in America especially, but I, I guess everywhere, but we're talking about the American system here at the moment. 
mid-20th century, there was, like McCarthyism and the Red Scare, there was also this idea that the gays were going to take over all our institutions mm-hmm. and be gay, 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 this. And, and, they, and they went, no, no, no. If you allow gay people into your government, then they can be manipulated and therefore they will sell us out to the commies. That was the fear, which is weird. Right. But, but of course, the, my, straight away, my answer to that is then don't persecute your gay people and therefore they can just not, then they can't be blackmailed. Right. Mm. So don't be a dick to gay people and you don't have to worry about them being a dick to you. But that's not what they thought. The government went, I know, we'll kick all the gay people out. If you're, if you're openly homosexual, we will push you towards the door. We will never say it's because you're gay, though they did that sometimes too. They said they just find reasons to fire you and there are always reasons to get rid of you. Okay. That sucks. That's real bad. <laughs> this is the, this idea that James Webb was presiding over the State Department was all going down and he must have known about it. And therefore, maybe we should not call the James Webb Space Telescope the James Webb Space Telescope and just call it the JWST or something else entirely. Hmm. Change the name. NASA went, hey, we'll look into this and immediately came back and went, nah, 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 that's nah, fine. No, 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 no. Don't worry. Don't worry, everyone. We looked into it. Don't, don't, don't worry. Don't even, don't even, don't even sweat it, fam. We, uh, that's that's what NASA's that's official. What NASA's okay. that's, that was there. Yep. That, was that their sounds official. like NASA. <laughs> no, it's fine. But unfortunately, it wasn't fine. Lots of like Freedom Information Act, yay for the Freedom Information Act, came out showing that James Webb had been involved with the government and knew about kicking gay people out and actually discussing the gay issue. This this was this happened. Okay, now what what he actually did, no one knows. Whether he specifically persecuted gay people, no one knows. But he was presiding over, and he was aware this was going on. He wasn't like I didn't know it was happening. It was it's mm. the messages that was written back and forth the reports. He was pretty aware of it. So this yeah. upsets quite a few LGBTQI plus people. Mm-hmm. You've got this telescope, and this guy wasn't very cool to gay people, to put it mildly. And here's where it gets interesting for me. And here's why I may alienate some and listeners. When I first heard about this, I was like, oh, "Look, everyone in the past was shit. It's just the way. That's the past." Okay. Look, let, let me let yeah. me get let, let me let me get on the pathway, and then you can yell at me afterwards. But um, mm-hmm. and I and where this came from for me was a personal feeling and, and I had a personal take on this, which was I grew up in a small town called Bowen on North Queensland and a small town of like 5,000 people at the time. Mm-hmm. Lovely place. Definitely go there. It's very pretty, but there were no gay people there, inverted commas. There were no gay people there, right? Uh, because I, well, now I look back and go, because your life would get real hard if you turned out to be homosexual in the 80s in that town. Mm. And knowing people I know from Bowen now who are gay, it must be real hard for them. Like they, mm. they're, they're gay people and they had to keep it secret. But I didn't know that. I didn't know what a gay person was really. A gay person was just a punchline. It was a joke. It was a, and not a fun joke either. Like, and I think back now and go, I can honestly say that I was homophobic by culture. Mm. Cause I grew up in, I didn't know any different. And I remember very clearly meeting my first gay person. My sister, who's, who's quite a few years older than me, she brought some friends home and from university. And so I was like 15, 14, yeah. something like that. And we're having dinner, we're having dinner and chatting away. And this big burly guy who was there and he was in the military and he was a lieutenant in the Australian army or Navy, something like that. And he talked about how he was going off to get married. I'm going to, I'm going to be marrying my husband, mm-hmm. Adam, I think his name was. But his name was Adam. Was his husband Steve? Please tell me his husband was Steve. No. <laughs> and I actually spit-taked. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Awful. Now I think back, I'm like, oh, lordy. Oh, no. And everyone took it very well. 
And I realized this very powerful military man who was very powerful, bearded, stocky, did not fit in my head what I had been told a gay person looks like. All the jokes, right? All the terrible homophobic jokes. And it was the first step into, you know, not being a shit human being in that area, okay? So I'm telling the story because I don't think I'm homophobic now, but I I think I grew up in that culture, and so I changed. And and maybe I was giving James Webb the benefit of the doubt, going, well, he lived in a shit time, and he wasn't lucky enough to have people go, actually, Greg, don't be a douche nozzle. That was my feeling originally. Mm -hmm. So my mom's like, ah, I understand why people want to change the name, but also James Webb did actually get people to help get moon mission he's not a monster he just lived his time this is what i started to think mm-hmm. i was in those freedom information act start coming out and you start going hmm okay now it gets more com- complicated because no longer he just oh, i didn't know what was going on now he's like ah, oh, he seems to be doing some pretty shit stuff what was really interesting was i read a great article that said look it sucks that we've named it the the james webb space telescope because it's going to hurt people and we don't have to hurt people his name on it is going to tell people who are homosexual, we don't really like you. They're going to take it that way. And that sucks. And I don't, and I don't want that. By changing the name, we can just, we can just change the name. And you go, well, it's been done many times. Like it, it, it has been done many, 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 many times. So the, like the Perseverance rover on Mars uh, was named by children. There was a competition where they sent out to children and said, what should we name the one after curiosity? <laughs> And it was the Gay Express, wasn't it? They, they, it was the, they, and they had to change that. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Dan. For, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, yes. So they, Kids. Kids. Oof. So terrible. Yes. So the Large Synoptic Survey Telescope was called the Vera C. Rubin Observatory. And because Vera Rubin is an important person who was the person who came up with the idea of dark matter and an important astronomer. Oh, yeah. We, we yep. don't talk, we don't right. talk about... Women and, you know, we can rattle all these men's names. The very room is important. And there's the Wide Field Infrared Survey Telescope is renamed Nancy Grace Roman Telescope. So NASA can change names yeah. and, and go, well, actually, we should probably honor more women in science, and which is great. Brilliant. And then people go, well, but we can't call it the, J- we can't call it the JWST. We can't call it a new name because that'll cost too much. And you go, well, no, the Vera C. Rubin Observatory has seen a negligible increase due to having to change mastheads and you know letters and logos mm. and things it's just not a thing so what it comes down to is we have a name of a person who it's it's problematic but in my mind and and the listener can take anything they want from this but in my mind i don't think this man was a monster i, d- I think it's a really silly way of looking at it of mm. going he's like i hate gay people or whatever he was a person of his time on one hand on the other hand, though, they want to credit him. They want to honor this person for getting, helping people get to the moon, which he definitely did do. Yeah. But they don't want to acknowledge that he hurt people who were gay. So they want to honor one thing, but not acknowledge at all the other thing. They're not even going to say, yes, it's problematic, but we're picking him anywhere. They're saying, we find no problem here. Hmm. And I find that a little that's bit. That's not the right message. And NASA, re- that's the right, that's the wrong message entirely. I think people would be angry even if they went, we understand he's problematic. If they said the thing I said, look, he did, we're honoring from this, we acknowledge the other one. People would still be angry about it. And you could have that argument that you still have to change the name, but I would be happy. NASA feel, I feel NASA's just gone, no problem here and hoping that everyone will forget. And people probably will. 
listeners to make your own mind up about that. It's a lot to drop on you. All the notes will be in the show notes. You have a read through, work it out yourself. But me personally, I now call it the JWST. That's just my take on it. I won't call it the other name anymore. I only call it the JWST. That's what I'm choosing to do. Because like Hubble, most people don't know who Edwin Hubble is. If I say Edwin Hubble, does that mean anything to He's you? He's from the Shakespeare play. He is. He is from yeah, Hubble, Hubble. With the witches. Hubble gets it right. <laughs> I can't write plays, obviously. Uh, yes. No, with the witches, you know. And they're like Edwin Hubble, Edward Hubble, oh, Fireburn, Fireburn, Cauldron, Cauldron Bubble. <laughs> Indeed. That's the guy, right? That's right. My goodness. Yeah. Shakespeare yeah. Shakespeare had it on. Exactly right. He was he was all about witch poetry. Anyway, that's my point. The JWST is an amazing yeah. instrument. It's named after a problematic person. It can be changed. I feel it should be changed. At least a JWST. Hmm. Well, I mean the thing is, I think it's awesome how racist people were back in the fifties. <laughs> Okay, I think, that, a bold, I think it's great. A bold claim. Well done. No, I, I, I think it's a brilliant how racist people were back in the 80s. Mm-hmm. I think it's brilliant how racist people were back in the early 2000s. Because mm-hmm. if people weren't really racist and horrible and ju- easy to be judged from our point of view, then as a culture, we're not progressing enough. Oh, I because see. Because if, if, we, if we looked back at the behaviour from 70 years ago mm. and went, yep, all the right be- people are still being persecuted, then <laughs> that would be a real problem. And in 20 years' time, we're going to look at stuff that we're doing now mm. and going, yeah, no, that was shit as well. Mm-hmm. So if we're not constantly looking back at people from 30 years ago and going, yeah, that behaviour was problematic, then we're just as bad as them. Mm-hmm. Good point. And if people do want to keep calling it the James Webb Telescope, I reckon just call it, oh, the James Webb Telescope. You know, that thing we fired into space because, you know, that James Webb, he really needed to be fired into space (laughs) with all the other bigots fired (laughs) into space. This is image now, the Lagrange two-point, just leaves corpses. (laughs) That's where you put the bigots. Just floating. <laughs> do you weekend science, Dan? I do. Ooh. I've got some very big news <gasps> about the show's favourite arachnid. Here's a hint. It's the only animal we've ever taken to Colin, the Earth's <gasps> moon. It's man's best friend, his constant companion, Gregoire. Tardigrades? No, no f- those uh, little uh, uh, water bears. Oh, the ones are the ones in your face, the face mites. It's Dimidex. D- Dimid- yes, the so, d- tiny, tiny mite that lives in the hairs in our eyelashes. <laughs> I'm just trying to work, I'm, I'm actually trying to work out how this is your week in science. I don't, I'm actually very nervous. <laughs> I don't know. You made me Well, I've got some big news about them. Ooh, okay, good, yes. We all know about them. They live for about 15 days. Mm-hmm. They live under the surface of the skin mm. and travel along the hair follicle to the surface. Mm. They can't survive the sunlight, so they only come out at night like fireflies. Or goths. Yeah, true. Then they make sweet, sweet love and they lay their eggs in the herbaceous gland inside the follicle. Mm, like goths. <laughs> the egg is one-tenth of a millimetre wide and it is shaped like a love heart. Aww. Aww. She lays up to 20 love hearts at a time. Aww. Each egg hatches into a six-legged larvae. They take seven days to develop into Wait, an adult. It's an arachnid? It is an arachnid, so but it hatches legs. into a six-legged larvae oh, okay. first. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. They take seven days to develop into an adult, and they have two intervening nymph stages. Aww. Tiny nymphs 
It's like it, there's a Shakespearean tale playing out in our eyes. <laughs> so romantic. <laughs> now, important things to know about the Demodex, Gregoire? Uh, the Demodex, it lives on your skin. It dies in your skin. It's always there. There's nothing you can do about it. You can scrub and 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 scrub. They're always there. I remember that part. I, I remember scrubbing a lot. And mm-hmm. the other thing is they... Don't have an anus. They they fill up with poop and then they die. They spend their entire life filling up with poop. Yep. They have no anus and thus instead explode with poop all oh. over your eyes. Oh. Well, no more will I hear this scuttlebutt about their lack of a little scuttling butt. <laughs> Research in Europe has now completely mapped the genome of the Demodex and have proven <laughs> that they do indeed have an anus. Oh, thank God. The Demodex poops on your face throughout its lifetime. (laughs) The scientists have also supposed that the Demodex isn't a parasite, but is instead in a symbiotic relationship with humans, cleaning up excess dead skin cells and replacing it with wonderful poop. (laughs) Maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's Demodex. (laughs) One day in the future, they may become as much a part of us as our intestinal flora Mm. And our own organs. Godspeed, little Shakespearean Demodex. For all the eye is a stage, and all the male Demodexes and female Demodexes merely players. Mm. They have their entrances, and they also have their exits. My house is currently being stripped out to be repaired after, as you remember, several trillion litres of horror-filled black water poured through it. Can I uh, make a note? When I said woo then, I wasn't saying woo for the horrible water and destruction. I was saying woo that your house has been stripped out. That just want to make that clear. I I, I had premature wooing then. The builders discovered something really interesting. Uh, is, is a family? Is there a family in the walls that now? There's uh, not a family. Now they're the homeless. So they've, they've been living there for years, and they drowned in the walls. And now, like, oh, that's horrible. They would have to be very thin. Like, like, I, I, don't thin shame people. The previous owners installed the gyprock, also known as plasterboard or drywall, mm. over the top of asbestos. Before I jump into. Ah! Not all asbestos is created equal, is it? There's the crumbly horror that leads to asbestosis, and then there's a more solid type. Is that correct, or am I incorrect? We are very lucky, Gregoire. Mm -hmm. Very lucky, Mm -hmm. because it doesn't matter whether it's the solid or the crumbly. Uh. Asbestos is a miracle product. (laughs) It's an amazing electrical insulator, and it's highly fire-resistant. Yep. It includes six different naturally occurring minerals that are both flexible and fibrous. Mm. Cosro to Parvez, the great Sasanian king, amazed <laughs> guests by taking his asbestos table napcon- napkin and throwing it in the fire. The napkin was removed and it was clean. As I always say, almost every problem can be solved with fire. Mm, mm. Well, as, as that documentary said, we have to take off and nuke the site for more, but it's the only way to be sure. To clean the facility, yes. To clean the facility, absolutely. Imagine, Gregoire, if my house was entirely made out of asbestos when it flooded. I could just set fire to the place and disinfect (laughs) the entire building. Be done in an afternoon. Absolutely. 
You can build walls out of it. You mm. can build ceilings out of it. Mm. Cigarette filters, mm. gaskets, mm. fume hoods, baby uh, powder, mm. kitchen aprons. Uh. All of these wonderful products that are impervious to fire and electricity. Can mm-hmm. I just say that when I lived at, a, I won't say the name of the college, but I, back in my college years, I lived in a college and the roof was coated in it. So for that exact reason, so that the place couldn't burn down and we used to be able to reach up and touch the roof and it would crumble. It would crumble off if you touched it too much. Good times. Good times. Mm. This is the uh, popcorn ceilings, mm. possibly. Mm. Ah, yes, fire and electricity. You wear asbestos clothings and you're already completely protected against several types of Pokemon. (laughs) It could be a utopian world, but then in 1899, H. Montague Murray came along and ruined everything. He noticed that some pansies in the asbestos mining industry were starting to feel a bit unwell. Walk it off, I say. But no, he just keeps digging and digging and discovered that when it comes to asbestos, the last thing you want to do is keep digging and digging. (laughs) Certainly don't cut it or drill it. Don't snap Mm. it. In fact, anything that results in some of that nice, stable, safe asbestos turning into light, floating, inhalable Mm. particles Mm. of asbestos. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe they could have just held their breath. (laughs) But if you're a coward... Those particles could float into your lungs and can be absorbed into your body where they will accumulate. Once the particles land in your lungs, they kill the cells Mm. that they touch. Mm. That's fine. That's not cancer. That's the opposite of cancer. Mm. But the problem, the problem is that they kill the cell by means of programmed cell necrosis. This creates high-mobility proteins that are an immune response. Mm. The inflammation this creates is a specific type of inflammation that releases mutagens. Mm. This isn't a big deal when the cause of the inflammation leaves the body, but asbestos sticks around. It doesn't dissolve. It doesn't get absorbed and moved to the kidneys. It stays in the lungs, Mm -hmm. killing the adjacent cells and creating more inflammation. (laughs) Even Gregoire... Even introducing fire to the lungs isn't going to damage it. <laughs> well, it gets rid of all the problems around it, but your lungs are still there. Just these nice pair yeah. of lungs just sitting there. Oof. One question that the listeners may have, is their favourite podcast host at risk? I'm fine. I'm fine, everyone. I'm no, totally no, fine. No, 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 I'm okay. No, 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 no you've, you've, in this you've, room. I'm, I'm t- everyone worried? I'm okay. You've misunderstood oh, sorry, where right. with this. Oh, right. Okay. Um, okay. So... Okay, there is their favourite podcast host at risk. Mm. Me. Oh. Oh, yeah, you're the other one. Oh, sorry. Yeah, that's right. Okay. <laughs> Thankfully, the asbestos was safely behind some gyprock and behind the floating shell, <laughs> the floating <laughs> shelves that I installed by <laughs> by drilling into the wall. <laughs> 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 No, this is just COVID. Don't worry about that. That's just COVID. When I first started teaching to a regional school, which I won't mention, but went out to a regional school on my first day, 
don't know if you remember, it was a very fast changeover. I, I got the job and within a week I was there because the, the teacher had to leave very quickly. So I got had, sort yeah, of bailed. parachuted in very, very fast. Well, did they get did they get captured by the Australian government and sent to an offshore detention facility? <laughs> that was the town, but no, no, actually, it was a very sad thing. I won't go into it, but anyway, the oh, all right, it's oh. actually yeah, not a sad thing, not like offshore oh, detention, yeah. <laughs> as in, yeah. <laughs> which is good a, point, a rousing laugh. Yeah, good, good point. But yes. It, it, anyway, so I got parachuted into this job, and I turn up very, very early. They will know I'm coming, but I turn up at the school very early, and I get told, "Hey, just go to the science department." And and your officers there, like you'll be part of the the group there. Just go in there, and I didn't say go in there. They said just you know that's where your office is. So I'm like, cool. So I turn up on the Monday morning, quite early, like seven o'clock, super early. Thought better get in there and get started, and walk in and sit down and waiting. And no one else seems to be coming in. It's getting a bit later and later. I'm like I'm sure they'll find me. And finally, the vice principal turns up at the door, looking a bit alarmed. It's like what are you doing in here? I'm like well, I sorry, I thought, and he's like no no, I might come to the office. It's like, oh, yeah, actually, that makes a lot of sense. Sorry, I'm just a bit discombobulated. And yeah, you're right. You're absolutely correct. Sorry. And anyway, also, get out, can you just get out of that room like really fast? Did you not, was the door not locked? It's like, no. And he's like, yeah, can you just come out? Like, he's not coming in. He's just standing at the door. I'm like, okay, cool. And I pick up and go out. He's like, yep, yeah, this should be, this should be locked. And, uh, yeah, because we're having asbestos stripped out of the lab next door, which has an open vent between that room and this room. This, this room is not being used at the moment. It's like, it's all being stripped out and they're halfway through the job. This door should be locked. I don't know why it's not, but I talked to the custodian Ooh. and I'm like, Oh, and he's like, can we, um, yeah. And he was like, really like, Oh no. And, and so I had to go and sign forms and things saying I was in the room from this time to this time, just in case if my lungs had turned to stone that, there'd be he was looking after me which is very nice he was like okay if something goes wrong then we can have a record yeah. this is where it happened but he's like this i was like oh welcome to this new school and new job and yeah but it was a bit spooky but uh yeah lots mm. of people lots of people had yeah that. well people have accidents with asbestos every day mm. and they can go to the doctor <laughs> and uh someone went to the doctor and said look i had this incident Am I in any danger? Like, what what, mm. what could happen to me? Is there anything you can do? He said, come back in 40 years. Mm-hmm. We'll have another look. <laughs> yeah. Dan Beeston. Oh, yeah. I yep. want you to imagine yourself as a mouse. Oh, all right. You're a mouse. Yep. Got it. You're sitting, in a, you're sitting at home in your little mouse house, and you've got the mouse prints. <laughs> oh, oh. No, I just had some cheese. <laughs> oh, I don't know why they like that. Oh. No, much, I'd much prefer to have some walnuts or something. Thank you. Very good. Turns out. It's, uh, absolutely. Cheese is not like cats don't drink milk. Mice oh my God, cheese. peanut butter. <laughs> don't, well, don't snack too. You've got the mouse princess right next to you and you're all sitting on the couch, yeah, a mouse couch, and you're having a lovely day. When you say mouse couch, mm. is it like the normal sized or is it like a giant human sized couch and it's just me and my mouse princess sitting next to me? Yes. Right. And your day is going wonderfully. You're having a wonderful mouse day. Everything's going well, but you start getting an f- uneasy feeling. St- oh, mustn't ignore that. Don't, no, absolutely. Well, yes, you, you, you're feeling a bit uneasy, but you can't tell why. You're just sitting there. Everything seems fine. Is it a cat? That's what you, Is it a cat? Looking around. Cats. It doesn't seem like a cat. You don't think it's a, you're like, oh, I can't quite. There's no cats around. I can't see any cats. Look behind you. No cats there. Great. Cool. Back to enjoying the couch. Enjoying the couch, but the uneasiness grows and it grows. And it grows. You're starting to get more and more nervous, more and more panicky. You're starting to get the feeling that you need to get away from the mouse princess. You need to run. You need to run. 
very quickly. Oh, my God. So I have to have stop having sex with her? I, I, I look... Because that's what I'm doing. That's... As a mouse, yes. I am definitely making more mice all the time. That's... Then, yes, you definitely need to stop doing it's that. It's not romantic. It, you need it to definitely... very much... But, okay, so I'll stop there <laughs> and I'll take off. Just, just so we are clear here, I have no desire to assist the female mouse... No, oh, no, 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 no. You want, in fact, no. you want to get away from her as quickly as possible. Away from yes. her? Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. You're very like, so, I'm uneasy. I should probably get away from the mouse princess and run like right. I'm going to take some of these walnuts with me, but No yeah, time. Okay. No time. I'm, no time. I'm, uneasy. Oh, damn it. No time. It's very scary. You've got to go. It's, it's, that's how scary okay. it is. Okay. And, you, and you're like, you're, you're, you're gone. I'm like, you're, you're gone. And you're running. And where are you running to, Dan? Where are you going? I could go to my mate Stuart Little's house. That's... <laughs> that's Sure. He and I will jump in his little car well, and then, boom, out to Vegas. Well before you get to Stuart Little's house, well before, yep. you're not even at the front door, when you come across something which fills your mouse heart with mouse dread, <clears throat> it's long, it's yellow, it's a banana. I, I, I think maybe that looks like a snake. No, no, no. Nothing to do with snake. No, it's, it's no, just self-explanatory. No, self-explanatory. Self-explanatory. That's I don't think I need to explain it. Okay, it's just a banana. That's yeah, we're done. So, um, I'm, am I concerned about radiation poisoning? <laughs> Your potassium levels a are fine. Banana for a little tiny mouse. A lot of potassium. <laughs> no, I become a Hulk mouse. <laughs> we'll stop the role play now, and uh, I'll try and explain what's going on here. This is a, I'm too deep in. <laughs> I'm mouse forever now. It's a really weird thing that was discovered by researchers at McGill University in Montreal. It was discovered that male mice have a habit of eating the children, the pups of females, especially mm. virgin males. <laughs> Yum. And I think it's a good idea genetically. I understand that. They're like peanuts, it's- but jerky. <laughs> So there's a problem there if, if you're a female mouse and you give birth to like 20 pups or so, and then this male comes and eats them. It's it's a whole thing. Like you know, it it kills the mood. Your offspring are gone, and it's you know it's a big problem. So female mice produce a hormone, a compound, I should say, called n-pental acetate in their urine, and n-pental acetate causes male mice anxiety. And the stronger the smell becomes, the more anxious they become. Is that what that was? That's what that was. Okay. Yeah, no. Yeah. Now that you mention it, it was awful. A bit spooky. Like, that was a new couch, too. <laughs> and Like, it was white. <laughs> it was white. That, I don't know how I'm going to get those out. That tiny little mouse stains. The idea is that it's in the urine and there is probably a connection between that compound and the fact that if you mess with the female mouse, she'll kick your ass, basically, for going near her babies. That's the connection they think and has created this, this. That smell leads to male mice getting quite anxious and then running away, giving the, the female a chance to not have their babies be eaten. That's fine. That's well and good. Evolution's an amazing thing. Gives everyone a chance to breed. Fantastic. But it's also produced in bananas. It's the compound that give bananas their distinctive smell. Oh. It's that banana smell. That's what it is. And this has been said. The researchers at McGill University in Montreal, Quebec, said, well, if we put a banana in the cage, does that lead to mice being more anxious, male mice? And the answer is yes. They, they, <laughs> they respond in the same way. Yay, science. So a banana can scare away young male mice, but won't scare away female mice. 
So you can't keep all the mice away from your house just by having lots of bananas around. But you will keep the oh, keep all the dudes around. That's it. Just gonna have to keep paying that pied piper. <laughs> oh, hang on a sec. Oh, I still got my tea here, actually. Ooh. <laughs> even cups. Okay, another cup, another cup. Do you have the time? It is. It is 11 o'clock, so 1 o'clock in the afternoon for you. Well, it's 5 o'clock somewhere, right? Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Do you ever sigh after a nice sip of drink? No, but I know it's... No, you don't have the pleasure of a nice... uh, no, I know people do it, and I always wondered if it was just an affectation. <sighs> my, here's my guess. I haven't had beer in a no, while. No, he's, 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 really, he's really, really loving it. Here's my guess. If that's what we're actually talking about here, can I, can I have a guess? Ooh. Can I, I, I honestly yeah, have, why not? I honestly have no idea. I'm just guessing. But no, I don't sigh when I drink. I always have an affectation. But if it's not an affectation, it's a real thing people do. My guess is... By sighing, you're moving air across your tongue or into your nasal cavities more and making more and getting the aromatic compounds into your nasal area and therefore it's a better taste or smell. That's my total guess. Oh, that's an interesting one. I bet it's wrong. It's interesting. <laughs> like, if, I, like, I don't know for sure. I've got a good argument against it. Okay. So sighing mm-hmm. is something that everyone does. Even if you didn't do it while you were awake, you'd be doing it in your sleep. I sorry, I sigh all the time. Life is full; mm. is, is is a veil of sighing, but not when I drink. Just just not that, that's not when I sigh. I yeah. sigh when people do things yeah. in front of me, or I wake up in the morning. Yes, I sigh a lot. I just, yeah, just not drinking yeah. sighing. <laughs> well, when you breathe in and out, that's your normal tidal breathing pattern. Mm. But sometimes we breathe in extra volume and we breathe out at one and a half to two times stronger, often making this <sighs> sound. Yeah. It's the sound of ennui. Oh, ennui. Ennui. Sedentary people sigh more often than active people. Ooh. We need our lungs to be loose and pliable. If we take Ooh. very shallow breaths, the lungs would get stiffer and taking a deep breath in would not be as effective. Occasionally stretching our lungs out without forcing them keeps them in top form. Mm, mm. Now, we associate sighing with being upset or angry or even relieved. In fact, Mm. what's happening is that it's related to us changing state between stressed and unstressed. (laughs) Now, what is stressful, Gregoire? Keeping you alive, Dan. Saber-toothed tiger comes and tries to eat your face. You're like, I'm out of here and gives you energy and verve and vigor and stuff like that. It sure does. It's and pain relief. So when it's chewing your leg off, you don't like, ah, you're like, I'll just die quietly. It's fine. Oh, no, I think people generally settle down at that point, don't they? When they sort of submit to the void. <laughs> From your experiences with the, wow, the people in the walls, maybe? In the end, they get this pleasurable look on their face. I'm a hero, says Dan. I'm a hero. <laughs> Stress is, of course, for fighting or flighting. Mm. Or the other F. Oh, yeah, that'll happen. Mm. Freezing. That happened. Freezing. In, indeed. Yes. <laughs> so mild stress makes us stretch our lungs more often, possibly in preparation for activity. Mm-hmm. One thing scientists do strongly suspect is that it's resetting our breathing pattern, allowing us to move from one state to another. Mm. So 
once the danger is passed, we can safely reset from <sighs> an organic gear shift and resets to our standard tidal breath pattern. If we could not reset effectively, we could end up hyperventilating. Mm -hmm. The great thing about this response is that we make an audible noise. This is a social cue to others that there is something to be stressed about or that the stress event has passed. So if someone's sort of stressed, they'd be like, that, that wolf, I'm not um, mm. worried about mm. that wolf. Then other people around will key into that. Mm -hmm. And the breathing pattern it can be ready to jump into high gear. Mm. Okay. Now, we know it's not just a social construct, though, because mice do it as well. It's definitely a physiological response. Not only do we sigh to change into stress mode, if we consciously inhibit our sighing and do long, deep breaths, we can alleviate the stress feeling. That's mm. why, if you're upset, it helps so much to get your breathing under control. Of all the things in the world, when I, cause I can be not anxious, that's the wrong word, but when I get a little bit too intense... The only thing that works for me is breathing, as in controlled breathing. And someone said, that is meditation, so maybe it is, but breathing in for four seconds, holding for four seconds, releasing for four seconds. And it's just thinking about that. And to begin with, when I used to be in that state a lot, I was like, this is rubbish, it doesn't work. And it absolutely does. It's all you worry about is the breathing and you slow everything down and it helps me sleep. It helps me stop being emotionally agitated. It's a absolute... Wonderful. Yeah. Being stressed increases your breath rate and your heart rate. Decrease, yep. like decreasing your breath rate and heart rate makes you less stressed. Smiling makes you happy. Being happy makes you smile. Exactly. We, we are, are cyclic beings. We are. We are minds and bodies. You can't ignore one or the other. So that's what science says about sighing. Mm -hmm. But why do we sigh after taking a nice drink? Mm. There isn't a lot of info out there about this, so we're going to have to change gears into Dan's hypothesis mode. <sighs> oh, no, 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 that, no, mm. no, I, I bought that on myself. When you take a drink, <laughs> you close off your airways. Mm -hmm. If you didn't, fluid could fall into your lungs. Mm -hmm. We generally take a little extra breath before we drink so that we have plenty of oxygen while we drink. Once that finishes, we need to let the air out again before breathing normally. Mm. We already have the bigger breath locked and loaded, but exhaling it faster also clears our airway of any residual droplets that could fall into the lungs. So you have water, all this moisture around the air mm. pipe, and then you go, ah, a little push to get rid of that moisture and to evaporate it. Mm -hmm. Now, you don't tend to drink hot drinks, but no. you do occasionally have a cold one. Yes, one part of drinking hot and cold drinks is inhaling as the drink enters your mouth to run room temperature air over it and make it less likely to burn you. This pulls in even more air that will need to be released afterwards. Maybe this is why the first sip of a cold beer or a hot coffee has a more pronounced sigh. Hmm. And you're not sighing it after a lukewarm mouthful of coffee. So if we wanted to do the experiment, we could get people to breathe out, then take a sip and see if they sigh, because they wouldn't have a big inhalation to be released. Mm. But if they're thinking about their breathing, mm. this may mm. affect results. Absolutely will. Yeah, it's not, a, it's not a blind experiment. It's just anecdotal evidence. The worst type yeah. of evidence. So we could instead tell them to drink larger or smaller amounts and see if the sigh is bigger or smaller the longer they anticipate holding their breath. Mm. Or you get someone else to do it. If you, if you single blind the experiment, you won't double blind yeah. it. You would, I would get someone else. You don't explain why. 
you just say, would you mind coming and drinking these things for me? And you give yes, them yes, a hot you, drink, you, a cold you drink. You don't a, tell them. No, you don't tell no, no. them. You have a, Keep a them in room the temperature drink and then you have a, a lot of drink and you have a little drink. You try and change one variable at a time and don't explain mm. it and just see how often they sigh and see if they, yeah. that's even that wouldn't be perfect, but it would be better than you trying to do it to yourself. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, you couldn't do it to yourself. But we could provide them with cooler and or warmer drinks, mm-hmm. requiring more or less air to be sucked in to cool it down. Mm-hmm. My hypothesis is that the warmer the drink, the more often the sigh mm. and the bigger the sigh. Listeners, okay. it sounds like you have a job to do. Uh, for the other part of the experiment, we could get them to drink very cold water and then mm. get them to breathe out really gently and see if after a while they start to choke to death. <laughs> For science. For science. For science. Smart after better takes no responsibility if your loved one's choked to death. So we could get the listeners involved. But I think we should. But Just we've already told to them. We've already they, told them. So they can't no, but, do it on themselves. They become, we, like, hang on, I'm going to do it now. With the power vested in me as a podcast host of Science, Comedy and Ignorance, I deputize you That's as, a weird, pious vibe. That you as I'm waving my hand around in a weird way that you are now deputized. It's if not can, a weird way. You are making the cross. I was going for a Celtic thing, but that's fine. It looked like oh, right. I was actually, I just, I'm just bad at drawing. Uh, <laughs> I now deputize you in the name of the uh, smartest and a better comedy blimp to go forth and do experiments on unsuspecting people in the most ethical way you can and get back to us. I'd love to actually know if you can, if you, yeah, if we can get any evidence on this, what sighing is for. I still think it's about, I like your theory. Yeah. I do. I see what you're saying. But I still like mine. I still stand by the hot and cold thing because, and the, for the, because once again, tea is the tannins. It's, it's, that's why your coffee, there's, there, the there's a taste though, to it. There's a taste to it. If you were breathing it out, like mm. if you wanted to fill your sinuses with the aromatics, you wouldn't go, ah, you go with your nose. Mm, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying it's, I'm not saying it's definitely right. I'm just, I'm just saying it's out there. It's just, I'm just, I'm floating it as a, hypothesis. maybe if you wanted to share it with others in their face, it's what's that thing on the top of your, ah, there's a um, cats have it. Um, there's a sensor on the top of the roof a of their mouth. Penis that not on the top of the roof of their mouth, unless the date went really well. That's wow. Cut that entirely. <laughs> cut that can no. <laughs> oh no, that's a great joke. Oh, I would have made it otherwise. Oh, that's no. I'm I'm sad now. Um, I'm sad with myself. I'm better than that, Dan. I'm better than that. Anyone for a meow job? <sighs> oh, no, I'm sad. The thing I'm thinking of is the is not called, it's called the vomeronasal or Jacobson's organ, and it sits at the at the top of the mouth. Uh, it's oh, is it the top of the mouth? Wait, am I totally wrong? If it's the bottom of the mouth, it's the tongue. So it's in the nasal cavity just above the roof of the mouth in various tetrapods. So it's in the nose, but it's at the top of the it's above the top of the mouth, which makes sense. That's where your nose is. Anyway, this doesn't seem like it's gonna work, but there's up my theory though. But they when the, but cats do open their mouth to use it. That's where I was getting it from. And yeah. they and they use that and, and snakes have it and they open their mouth to get more air through. Right. And that's what makes me think of it. So anyway. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it's an old thing that we do like. Yawning? Yawning is a, is a gill thing. We don't have gills anymore, but it's a gill thing. It's for getting, putting more oxygen across your gills. So fish do it. Fish, mm. fish yawn. Fish yawn? Yes. Fish yawn. Is that what they're up to? That's what they're up to. 
Anyway, if someone knows what the heck we sigh for, please get in contact with us. We'd love to know. Is it Dan's probably, well, not probably, Dan's much better researched idea of air being (laughs) released, or Greg's just made it up on the fly based on cats opening their mouths? Then please get in contact with us. Yeah. Oh, God, I'd love to be set right on this. I'd like to know. Surely someone must know. Surely, if so- only there was some way that we could get listeners to tell us whenever that we say something wrong. <laughs> well, it's not wrong. We've, we have a theory or, or, a hypothesis. Uh, or uh, give, uh, an opportunity for us to be set right in scientific ideas. Mm. I, oh, you're talking about the walk of shame, of course. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. You, yeah you, I'm, you, you're, you're segueing beautifully. Don't. But, oh, God so, but, damn it. <laughs> But when you, when, I, I you know, know. when you point out the segue, I know, I know, it I'm ruins sorry. the point of having even, a good segue. And I wasn't even doing that for comedy because I know it's not actually that funny. But I, I was Good sorry. because I'm not laughing. <laughs> I was listening to another podcast and they made a comment about, not us, unfortunately, but they, they were like, huh, more science podcasts need, they need to be curled to account and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, you do. <laughs> And I wanted to write in and go, yeah, you kind of do. And some people have been doing it for over a decade. And welcome, yep. to, the, welcome to the club. And the difference there is the people in this podcast, which I quite like, uh, they're actual experts who are great at their jobs. And we are two funsters who uh, fly by the seat of our pants. I debate that. We're not, not that funny? No, I take myself very seriously. You're literally drinking a beer whilst doing yeah, a podcast. It's strength. This is what, what happens if there are children. <laughs> what if there are children listening, Dan? You're, you're... Well, if they're Nazi kids, so, then uh, I can no, farm that into is not space. Gonna... Oh, okay. Welcome to the Walk of Shame, where you, <laughs> the audience, point out the mist- little mistakes we've made along the way so that everyone can end up on the same page, and hopefully that page is a little bit clearer than all the pages before it. Gregoire, what have you got for me this I've, month? I've got one, Dan. I've got one. I'm so excited. I'm so, I'm so happy. Well, we'll see about that. Oh, okay, I'll be, I'll be happier later. This is from Eloise, friend of the show, been on the podcast before, and was, she was so excited when she she wrote me. She it actually starts with, Ha-ha! Walk of shame for Dan! <laughs> Exclamation mark. <laughs> I was well chuffed when I received that. So yep. you made a comment that the term glow up was first yes. used yes. in response to Matthew Lewis, who plays Neville Longbottom in the Harry Potter movies. He yes, went from indeed. a dorky little kitty boy. Dorky and, little Neville Longbottom. And he turned into, he grew up and he- 18 got, years later, bloody Daniel Radcliffe and the guy who played Ron and the guy who played Draco, all greasy, greasy spot spots. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy who played Neville, what's his name again? Matthew Lewis is Holy Dooley. Oh, abs- oh my goodness. What a dreamboat. It just he's just all abs. Just insane. Like it yes, and incredible. Jaw and yes. eyes and, and yeah. I, I like to think above. I like to think that he went, Man, everyone picked on me as young Neville. Who's laughing now? He's probably put a lot of work into it. Like I could get buff and I would just be Greg but buff. I couldn't get buff. But Technically, I could get buff, but I'd just be Greg, but buff. <laughs> Matthew Lewis was an attractive human being on all measures. I think mm-hmm. no matter any orientation you are, mm, yes, interesting. But so this is definitive. Now it's in the Walk of Shame. That's <laughs> that's where we research. That's all I always wanted to tell me. That's what she said. Matthew Lewis, 
hot cake. You know, she didn't write that at all, actually. That's just me putting that in. <laughs> Sorry, Eloise. I, I like to think that she, right now she's going, oh, he's, he's all right. I'm a married woman. <laughs> you said that's where the term came from. Yeah. But like most things in our society, all terms, all cool things in white came society. Came from TikTok. Came from, <laughs> well before TikTok, came from black culture, black American culture, or oh, trans no. culture, uh, or both. Oh, no, my privilege. Your privilege. It's, it happens a lot. It happens a lot. But by the time we're using it, they're not using it. They're like, no, we're done. So Glow Up seems to be originated, well, at least popularized by the rapper Chief Keef and his song Gotta Glow Up One Day. That's where it seems to. Now, it must have been used for that person to use it in a rap song. They probably didn't invent it, like most written language, but... It, 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 he may have. He may like it's have. Because it, it's, it's a good little pun and a good little music idea. Yeah, maybe. So I'm just saying that it came from that culture. It came from yeah. there. So no, it doesn't seem to be from anything to do with Neville Longbottom at all. I'm sorry. Oh, good catch, Eloise. That's a really good one. I'm really, that's a really interesting one. I am going to skip down that walk, that walk of shame. <laughs> but no, of course, you've got one for me. I speak too much I, of this podcast. I do have one for you. We have a listener who wrote in called Danny Sores. Oh, yes. Who I think is a character from Ted Lasso. I think um, Danny Sores is also a brand new Patreon person. Yes. Yes, I, yes, I think you're right. Just so you know, we, we didn't insult them last time, I do believe, but that's because they the podcast came out just as they mm. just they were like, why? They're very kind. It's like, just they, Danny got in contact and was like, hey, I was just wondering. And I went, oh, it's because it's just we record these. We don't they don't record when we do them, not done live. Mm. So Also, I get the list from Greg like five days out often. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, so there's a little bit of a... Yeah, it's all right. You'll you get your... You, you, you'll get your insult. Just imagine us leaving you out with your insult oh, last time. Oh, wow. You ghosted them. Yeah. Ghosted you. So that means the whole planet owes us money. Seven billion by $15. That's a lot of money. You could kind of fix the climate with that sort of money. I could buy Twitter with it. <laughs> okay. In episode 180, Greg says that gin was a poor person's drink made in bathtubs yes. that now is yes. all fancy. That's right. Now, Danny used to work as a brewer and gin distiller, and he says, It is true that gin did become a poor man's drink and was made in all sorts of horrible ways at a point in history, but that came only after the government permitted unlicensed gin manufacturing and levied a high tax on all imported alcoholic beverages, which led to the mass production of poor quality bathtub gin and gave way to the gin craze. The roots of gin came way before that. Gin has its roots in Geneva, a Dutch distilled drink made from juniper and other botanicals. It's believed that English soldiers that provided support in Antwerp against the Spanish in 1585 developed a taste for the drink for its calming effects, and it's believed that this is where the term Dutch courage came from. So, not a poor man's drink that became popular, but, like most spirits, a medicinal drink that became something to just get you drunk. That's cool. Thank you very much for that. I love that. That's excellent. I am going to have to change my ideas on gin. 
So thank you, Danny, for the kind words in your email about the podcast and for this opportunity to make Greg walk the walk of shame, which I always revel in. I love that. No, thank you. I, that, I've actually learned something very, very cool there. I, I really love learning about the history of things and how it actually happened. We also love hearing from people, not also just with walks of shame, but also sometimes you get emails from people, actually not sometimes, but quite often, and we do write back and also Twitter, of course, but we know we say we write in, but I just want to say here, feel free to write to us about whatever is going through your head. I, I've really enjoyed since the, the start of the pandemic, Greg, a positive out of the pandemic is making contact with listeners and people who got something out of the podcast. And it was really moving a lot of the time to hear from people saying, hey, it was really nice to have friends in Australia I'd never met. So yes, thank you to people who get in contact and feel free to write us emails and we'll try and incorporate your ideas or at least have a conversation with you about it. I'm always happy to do that. Happy to send it to me. Happy to send it to Dan. Just send it to us and we'll most likely write back because we've got nothing else to do. God, this seems like even more work for me. Well, it's not. Is friendship Just work, throw me into it. No, well, then send it to Greg then. That's fine. I like it. Yeah, send them all to Greg. I love it. And I'll pass oh, it on to Dan. It's a walk of shame. Yeah, if yes, all oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Greg send it to me. Send it to Dan, that's right. But yeah, yeah please please get in contact with Greg at smarthouse.org. Just about whatever you're thinking about, happy to have that conversation. Unlike Dan. <laughs> Dan hates you. That's, I like to point out, this is, this is the dynamic of the relationship. I'm the friend who goes, oh my goodness, it's you, come on in, oh great. And you're like, oh yeah, whatever, Greg, that's fine. But Dan's the one who's like, oh, it's you. And you're desperate for his affirmation because he's, he's just been negging you the whole time. We've got, we've got, we've got Ooh, both sides. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm the podcast nigger. You are, you are. You have been listening to Dan at smartenough.org. You've also been listening to Sexy Greg at sexysmartenough at sexy.org. That's not going to help. You can go to the website smartenough.org and you can make a comment on our comments bit mm. that I wrote. Or you can click on any of the buttons if you want to subscribe. Yeah. You know how you want to interact. You can, with you media. can find us. You can, you Is can... this your first time listening to the podcast mm. and like you, ju- you just listened to, decided to listen to one episode? Mm. Look... You already know at this point, you're like, yeah, this is all right. I'll listen to another couple more of these. Use the subscribe button. You know how to do that. Yeah. It's a podcast. What is it? 2020, 2004? <laughs> I mean, I'm not your mother. He's definitely not your mother. Definitely, definitely not your mother. If you would like to support us, then you can drop some money into the tip jar. You can buy a shirt or you can become a patron mm-hmm. and support us on a monthly basis. Madness. Love it, though. If you Good do Lord. such to such an extent or you sign up for our Blimp member mm-hmm. program, mm-hmm. then we will read your name out on the podcast. And that's exactly what I'm going to do now. You may think that I'm just going through the motions at this point, but I, this time, this time, this, this time, <laughs> definitely, I want to really thank mm-hmm. Andrew Trousdale, Andrew Whitehurst, Matthew Toy, Christopher Ravel, Ilana Mitchell, Britta Rogotsky, Gronya Maguire, Gronya Maguire, Andrew Potts, there's two people there. So I, I, two people whose names I both pronounce correctly, even though they're spelt identically. Andrew Potts, <laughs> Lindsay Jenkinson, Matt Ewers, Avi Greenbury, Elizabeth Yunkin, and Ivan. If you pay us even more and sign up to the How to Be Humble tier. Oh my goodness. I have to insult you. It's amazing. People are, I just. Yeah, amazing. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you very much, you idiots. It's a, it's, okay. It's also mm-hmm. just going to say once again: don't put yourself in financial straits for this. I'm just feeling a bit kind of you know, uh, you know, any level you want to support us, even just listening is fine. And uh, yeah, if you want to spend that money on, no, 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 don't just listen. 
tell someone. Oh yeah, oh yes. God's sake. There is that. There is that. But if you and want pay to, us some cash, if you want cold hard cash, <laughs> if you stop nagging him down, if you want to uh, use that money, oh, this to hat, save this the world. giant absurd hat. What's that onion on Hi, your belt? How you doing? It's coming at me from ten and two. Hey, uh, not many podcast listeners could pull off those ugly clothes, but you managed to do it. <laughs> If you want to use that money to save the world in some weird way, feel free to do that too. Maybe making sure that we keep sharing all this science is saving the world. Maybe. You think about that, Greg? Absolutely. We're inspiring people. Oh, we are. We're amazing. but uh, We're inspirations. I think we are. We are very good at what we do. And also, I show people what to do by doing the wrong thing, and then they can learn by... They go, oh, you know, I probably wouldn't say that stuff about Why? Nazi kids. Stop trying to segue back to it. was a tortured segue. Don't do that. Okay. So I've got to insult some people. I have got to insult some people. Being that I've recently exposed myself to asbestos, this month's insults are based on dangers in the home. Can I just say, exposing yourself to asbestos gave me a visual image that I won't mention, but good Lord, man. I, I know you've gone through a lot, but... Uh there you go. It's safe from electricity and fire. I like that. But not the not the little Dan. And, and not I, the I, little I, sergeant. I like the idea. Like, oh, it's much redder and swollen. <laughs> I must have asbestos. Anyway, <sighs> okay. Tom Siri, the aforementioned Tom Siri. You are a mixture of bleach and toilet cleaner. You're so awful. You shouldn't even be put into a toilet. And your presence is basically a war crime. <laughs> Steve Eichenhout, you are like paint from the 1950s. Mm. You're easily led. <laughs> Mikhail Kedar, you are like lavender essential oil, an irritating abrasive who is ultimately not fit for purpose. <laughs> Robert Shouten. You are like old, ingested watch batteries. Stomach-turning and ultimately powerless. <laughs> Steve Stewart, you are like a bug bomb. You make people want to leave the house. <laughs> and finally, Danny Sores. Welcome, Yay. Danny, to the top tier. You are like the pull cord on a set of blinds. It's the hanging with children that people have a problem with. <laughs> oh man, we keep we keep going to that well, don't we? We that uh, well is clogged. Uh, Le- should I tell you what it's clogged with, no, Greg? No, I can tell you what it's clogged please with. Please don't. I just wait. Okay. Are we are we getting too close to the line here? Who knows? Who knows? And a big thank you to the charcoal filters in our lives. Morton O'Hare, <laughs> Scott Driscoll, Michael Barnes, Eric Wilson, and Al Batson. Thank you all so much to every tier of the patrons and anyone who's dropped in some money because ultimately the money is the important thing. <laughs> it's not. Stop it. So uh, if you could pay <laughs> us more money. Stop it, Dan. Where's this coming from? My God. I don't know. No, seriously. I've been dealing with a lot of insurance. <laughs> if we did this for money, we would be in a lot of trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Thank God we're in- independently wealthy. Independently employed. <laughs> Thank God we're good at other things, huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a surprisingly uh, l- uh, low cash for uh, <laughs> for professional idiots. It's, it's very true. 
but a lot of attention. And that's ultimately all I need to survive. I was very excited. And I got to go see Deborah Francis White, friend of the show, and the Guilty Feminist. I don't think she's a friend of the show. She's just a friend. She's a friend. Oh, good point. She's a yeah, friend of ours. She's never been on the show. Oh, she's never been on the show. Good point. That's fair enough. I shouldn't, yeah, yeah I see what you're saying, but she's, she's a friend of ours. And I got to go see her do the Guilty Feminist show. And that's an amazing show. I, I, it's, a, it's an amazing podcast. Look, everyone knows. Was it an episode of the podcast or was, was it a show? It's a, it's a live showing of the, it's as in they record it for the podcast, All right. but yeah. it's, it, 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 it's both. So, and it's much longer. It was very, very long and they cut it down to the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was great. It's really good. People don't need me to pimp the guilty feminist on our podcast. Like, <laughs> it's it's a phenomena. I was fascinated. Why I'm mentioning those? I went along. I've never been to a live recording of that show, and mm-hmm. I sat there, and then lights went down, and it was full. It was the Perth concert hall, and it was full, absolutely packed. And I would say ninety percent women, maybe even ninety five. Like a lot of a lot of women. Ooh, men. nice. And a lot. Of mis- oh, yeah. No, Dan, 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 Dan. No, no, no. Let me get my ridiculous hat. Yeah, yeah. And we saw emotion on stage, and people started clapping and cheering. And then Deborah Francis White in the darkness started like she does in the podcast. She went, "I'm a feminist, but," and the audience lost its mind. And I don't mean cheered and clapped, which they absolutely were. There was an energy there was a i it was it was it's a phenomena i really mean that it was to the point of being nerve-wracking uh suddenly everyone you're like oh i i'm not cued into the same level like i'm not keyed into this i, I might actually put my ostentatious hat back <laughs> it was and not dangerous not no it was just a i went wow it wasn't just people excited people they were super excited and it was a great show it was a lot of fun and then just going to pimp myself a bit i i got a lovely text message uh, thanks to the girl clumsy and i got a message from deborah saying hey do you want to meet but come backstage afterwards and so i got to go backstage afterwards and hang out but i also got to more importantly i also got to bring along all the scientists from where i work all the ladies who came along the lady scientists who came and i and i got to go well actually i uh I know Deborah Francis White, and they're like, "Oh my god!" And then I got to take them all backstage, and it was the most wonderful. So you were, so you were like, kind of white knight, sort of cruising in. Uh, maybe that's not the right. No, no, not at all. No, at any rate, no, not at all. No, as in, I was very happy I could do that for them, and I loved it because these are amazing scientists who are doing. Well, we've had Natasha on the podcast before, and other people, and they're amazing scientists who are experts in their field, and I got to see them. They fangirled. It was it was fangirling. It was amazing. It was so good. I went. I've never seen the side of them where they were hanging back and didn't want to. I'm like, oh, Deborah gives me a big hug, and we're chatting for a bit, and then I look back, and the, the six people I'm with are all like three meters behind, all being very polite, and you're like, just come over. Like it was it was lovely. I had a really lovely time, and we went out, and Deborah gave a lot of her time, and we went out for drinks afterwards, and I really I had a really fun time, and and she's lovely. So definitely, if you go see a chance to see a live version of Guilty Feminist, go see it, even if you don't know what it is. Go see it. It's actually a really fun and interesting show. And uh, yeah, I, yeah, I just, it was the energy. I've never seen that energy. I'd like to think that someday in the future we'll be able to do another live show and we'll get the same amount of energy when we're like, it's time for the walk of shame. <laughs> That's <laughs> indeed. And as we always like to say, and all the men and women merely players, they have their exits and their entrances. And one man in his time plays many parts, his acts being seven ages. (laughs) 
haven't we talked in the podcast before? That's how probably English would have said it back in the Pilgrim days with when they so that's yep. how and, and then and then the, and then the French came went stop being awful add our language to your language at knife point yeah, yeah. <laughs> stop pronouncing all the you don't need no. to pronounce all the I letters know we put the, trust yeah, us on we this we put a one. lot of letters in for funsies we just we're making money from the government by adding more letters because they're paying us by the letter we were writers we just thought we'll just keep putting u's and a's and e's and things in Man. it's because of the letter setting unions <laughs> They, we're not allowed to take away the letters that don't say anything because yeah. that because they get paid yeah yeah, yeah. For that. big on the unions here in France. You've got big be. E will come for you if you try and remove an E from a word. <laughs> As you know, Dan, a couple of months ago we had a federal election, and yes, so yes, we have, I vaguely yeah. recall it. It <laughs> yeah, was a very rainy day. It was a very rainy day. Well, maybe for you, it was actually lovely here on the other side of the of the continent. And we're very lucky that we have an election system that is kind of designed to not disenfranchise as much as possible. One of the best election systems in the world, I reckon. It, 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 I think it is. Like it's set on a Saturday and we, we, we have to be compulsory voters and you get fined if you don't, but you probably, you know, you probably won't be fined, but you, you, you could be, you pop, you will be, but you the know. The threat is there that you'll the get threat like is a there. $60 fine. That's right. But, and, but really more to the point, we do it because it's the right bloody thing to do and we're brought up the right bloody way. And democracy is a full contact sport. Anyway, we're just going there. We're not going there. And so we're trying, and it's not perfect. There's also a problem. Uh, it's also a preferential voting system. Oh my God. Preferential voting systems. We've talked about them before on the podcast. The UK doesn't have this. No, they don't. They have a first past the post, which is stupid. We've talked about it before. Preferential voting systems are amazing. They're the best system. They could be better, but they're much better than, than the first past the post, which is the Americans have and the British have. The, well, the Americans, people, don't the top two people just wrestle? They, they, yeah, I think, I think they actually, they walk 10 paces apart and shoot at each other with guns or something. I don't know. It's, it's a, it's a whole it's thing. the American way. What normally happens is they, one has a vote and the other one says it's not true and then invades the Capitol. I've heard, allegedly. I'm not too sure. It, it seemed to be the way they did it last time. It worked real well. Democracy. Um, democracy. Yeah. Full contact body sport. Anyway, we, we don't normally go political on the podcast. And I'm, this is not a political thing, by the way. So I'm just talking about the election itself and how Australia is superior in all ways. <clears throat> yeah. We're not discussing who should or shouldn't win it. No, no, no. Just we're talking- the mechanism by which they battle. That's, that's right. Now, so they try and do the right thing and sometimes they get it wrong, which is, which is fair enough. And gerrymandering, it all happens. But so just, I'm, I realize I'm trying to second guess what people are going to say and I should just stop doing that. It's a good system. Could be better. Right. But there's a thing called COVID, right? And you may have heard of it. It's been no, running around. What's this? Never <laughs> heard of it. It's been running around the world. And in our country, you can do voting by post. So you can go and get postal votes and lots of people did this time because they didn't want to go hang out with other people and smell their smelly breath and catch mm-hmm. their filthy germs and that's fine i chose to go stand in the line because i liked the experience of doing that that's okay everyone has a different way of doing it but what happens someone said well what happens if you get covid a week before the election in our country at the time you weren't allowed to go out you were you had to isolate and if you were caught with covid wandering you 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 could face a big fine and mm. like not messing around fine like like thousands of dollars and mm-hmm. it, not messing around and so suddenly woke someone woke up and went wait if on monday morning i stick a thing in my nose and i have covid on saturday when we vote how the heck do i vote Mm. And someone went, well, postal votes. I'm like, no, 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 no. Postal votes closed. They're closed. You can't get a postal vote now. They're like, oh. And someone in the Australian Electoral Commission went, oh, oh, crap. Like you could see them go, 
oh no, we mm. haven't, we hadn't thought of it because yeah, it's fair enough. It's a, I, they probably should have, but I'm not going to yell at them for, I can see why they didn't think of it. They had other things on their mind, right? So unlike most countries where they would have gone, I guess you stick it up your bum. They went, okay, no, we'll put something in place. And they put together a phone system. You could phone and vote. And they tried to have these checks and balances. I knew someone who used it because he actually this actually happened to him. He and his whole family got COVID mm-hmm. a week before. And he said it was a real pain in the ass to use. Like it, he kept getting dropped out and he had to wait hours on the phone. Ugh. And it was really bad. But as he pointed out, he could still vote. He wasn't disenfranchised and hundreds of thousands of people, over 120,000 people, citation needed. But mm. in that ballpark could vote that way, which is a large percentage of our voting population. Could swing it. Yeah. Could swing. Okay something if they're all in the same gerrymandered area yeah <laughs> exactly so that's really good well done them even though it, was, it didn't work they put something in place a bit hodgepodge next time they'll know well done i thought it was amazing where this is all going is i was just like i love our system because if you don't want to vote in the normal system like let's say i'm like oh greg was like i hate everyone i'm gonna go write a draw a big dick on my ballot post and then i can informal vote right yeah. You're allowed to. You can put a big cock on it and then yep. it doesn't mean, doesn't as long mean anything. As, you, as long as you get your little name marked off and you get the piece of paper, you can do yep. whatever you want with that piece of paper as long That's as right. you put it in the box. That's right. And and, they, and it happens a lot. And also what's really great is even when – because I used to do the electoral voting stuff. I was actually part of – we used to get paid to do this sort of thing. So was, I did requirements. Ah, so you worked for the uh, uh, yes. counting I, I, the stuff yes. or – I was the person who took your name off and I would then help count. I was only one of the counters and it was a bit people, formal people behind us from both parties. And I used to love the fact that I didn't make the decisions. I would just say, this is a formal vote and I would hand it back and they would, two people from different parties would come and look at it. And I found them pretty good actually because they would look at it and go, well, the intent is obviously this person and the, and the other person, the other team would go, yeah, we agree. Cause they knew that if they fought too much, they wouldn't get the next one. So everyone mm. was like, no, 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 well, we, we can see the intent, right? We, we, you agree that they meant to say this? Yeah, yeah, we agree with that one. Fine. So they, they, it was actually, most people got their votes through, even if they stuffed it up, which is great. But you can put a big, let's say you just put a big penis on it and you put it in, right? That's fine. That's up to you. And that's great. I discovered from the electoral, Australian Electoral Commission itself that when you phoned in, what happened is you would phone in and say, hello, nice person. Can you please write on the piece of paper for me? One here, two there, three there. All you right. could actually say to them, please draw a big hairy cock on my piece of paper. Nice. And so someone said this on Twitter when I found this and someone else went, oh, that sounds hilarious. I don't think it's true. And then the Australian Electoral Commission, the official, <laughs> the official Twitter account came back and went, people have legitimately asked us to do this and we do. Yep. Yep, Bra- that's their job. Can, can I just say, bravo, Australian Electoral Commission. I, I stand off. I give you, like, well done. That's that's the power of democracy right there. If you want to draw a big cock and balls, you can. And indeed, you, you have to do something. You have to do something. There you go. I was just, I just, I was so happy with that. Yeah, was- that, that Twitter account is pretty cluey. There's someone there who's like, ah, look, you can do it. <laughs> We'd prefer you didn't, but we yeah. don't really get a say. As yeah. long as you vote, we're happy. Exactly right. If you want to complain about the system you're in, you've got to be part of the system you're in. And that doesn't mean you have to be enveloped every day and yell at everyone and punch everyone and run screaming in the streets. But it does mean that once every four years or so, you've got to get up in the morning and have a vote and get a sausage, which is very and Australian. Look, it's much better that 
people do go out there because even if someone is writing a donkey vote or mm. a, a, a throwing their vote, they are at least put in a position where voting for the person that they want is the easiest thing in the world to do from that point on. Oh. It's not a decision of laziness or mm-hmm. inability to get there. You know how many people want to make a political sign against the, the system. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Ah, Australia, you have your issues, but God bless you sometimes. Yeah. A, it was it's interesting a- looking on Twitter at the people who lost and t- talking about how things had been screwed up and votes had gone missing and, mm. oh, I heard and I saw mm. and I worked there and someone mm. got caught taking stuff out to their car and stuff. Mm. And I sat and I got to catch up with my friend Raymond a couple of days after that and he, he worked on it. And I said, okay, here's all the things that I heard on Twitter. Tell me why they could or couldn't work. How, how are you going to do it? And we, we went through all these things. He says, no, 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 they count. There's a person with a little clicker who's counting every single ballot that goes in, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. those get counted as they come back out. Mm-hmm. So if there's any discrepancy, it's a huge issue. There were mm-hmm. three missing last time, and the whole place was locked down, and there was a, yep. big, a big kerfuffle. And he said, look, and I said, so there's no way that this could all be screwed. And he said, well, yes, you would have to get every single person who's in charge or from rival parties to all agree mm-hmm. to allow this to happen. And if that's the case, you don't need to smuggle pieces of paper out of the building. Mm-hmm. You just get everyone to write down the same wrong number. <laughs> we'll remember for you wholesale. You're like, oh, yeah, cool. That's a great name for a story. And then they called it, um, what's what the, the Arnold Schwarzenegger one? What the hell's the call again? That one. The, the, get your ass to Mars. That one. Uh, oh God! Yeah. Why can't I do this? Mm-hmm. Why? Why? How can I be so smart? Mm-hmm. And don't you look it up? I can do this. I can do this. Looking it up. Uh, it's Arnold's Martian Journey. Yeah. And, well, it's, it's a very ironically named uh, title. I just realised how ironically titled. Uh, re- recall. Yeah, yeah. Total Recall. Total Recall. There you go. Yeah. Well, oh, yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. It's Total Recall. Mm-hmm. 